Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. This week, we're excited to welcome Rob Horsky to the podcast to talk with us about his experience as a full-time single dad to three awesome young men on the spectrum. He's also the author of the Autism Dad blog and the host of Autism Dad podcast, where he shares real-life stories that inspire other parents across the country. In some ways, Rob's family is like every other family, and in many other ways, they're very different. <laughs> I'd love to get into these personal sides and to really explore what it is that makes having a unique family dynamic and how that feels on the parental end. So we're super excited to talk to you today, Rob, and thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. As we kind of work through this, Rob, I, I think that the best thing that we could possibly do is set the stage, is that right now is that you are a dad and you mm -hmm. have three very unique children. And I'd love to just get an understanding of, you know, what makes your children unique? I mean, we all have children that have unique skills, unique lives, and yours is, is different than mine. Probably. It's probably different. Everybody's, I think everybody's experience is different. And, you know, my kids, they're all autistic in sort of different places. Um, you know, we are a blended family. That makes us a little bit different, I guess. And, you know, my oldest is 22. Um, I've raised him since he was a year old. And he was my first experience with autism. And he was diagnosed back in 2005. Um, he has a very rare version of uh, or form of autism called childhood disintegrative disorder, where, you know, he developed typically, he hit all of his milestones like he was supposed to, was doing great. No one thought anything was going on. And then around his fourth birthday, it was like we put him to sleep, one person, not put him to sleep, put him, he went to bed, one person, and woke up a completely different kid uh, to, to the point where, like, we grieved the loss of a child. And he, uh, his whole demeanor changed, everything changed, and we had to kind of get to know him again. And, uh, you know, that, that the Gavin that we knew for the first four years of his life, uh, we've never seen that Gavin again. Uh, but you know, you learn to, you learn the new person who's there and you embrace them and love them. And we've had our, you know, journey and, uh, he's 22 and he's doing really well and, uh, he's moving out sometime soon and, you know, never, never thought we would get to this point, but you know, he's, he's uh, surprised us and proved everybody wrong. So super proud of him. Rob, if you don't mind. So you sure. have an experience that, you know, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that often. And that is raising a child who had the diagnosis of childhood disintegrated disorder. Because I don't even know if that's being diagnosed anymore. And that's something that probably families experience and they don't have a name for. They don't have the ability to be able to kind of I guess, normalize what that might feel like from family to family. Um, yeah. Do you talk to other families that have gone through that experience? I've never met anybody else who's had a kid diagnosed with childhood disintegrative disorder. Um, I've, I've met, uh, I just had Eileen Lamb on my podcast. She's a friend of mine and her son, Charlie, um, regressed. He had a regressive form of autism as well. I don't know what that's labeled and I don't know where that line is to differentiate just like regression versus childhood disintegrative disorder. 
Uh, I'm not I'm not sure where that that kind of is. Uh, but one of the telltale one of the ways that they part of the diagnostic process is parents they describe the experience as putting their child to bed one person and waking up a completely different person. Like you don't recognize them. So you start wow. getting these crazy things in your head. Like we've all seen those movies where like aliens come down and abduct our kids or abduct, abduct someone. And then like, uh, put like a clone or something in its place while they're doing whatever they're doing. Um, it, it was, I mean, those ideas pop in your head because there's no other explanation for it. And it's so extreme that it's, it's a really difficult thing. It's a really difficult thing to explain. It's a very difficult thing to go through. And it's very hard because your, your very human emotions want you, they're driving you to grieve a child who's still there, which is a whole contradiction in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but it is, it is very, very difficult and it's, it, it's incredibly rare. I don't think it's even in the DSM anymore. And, uh, mm-hmm. when his specialist at the Cleveland clinic was telling us that, uh, they see maybe one kid every five years that'll come through with this, with this diagnosis. Um, and I don't know if the numbers stack up anymore, but you know, it's incredibly, incredibly rare. Yeah. And that's gotta be something as, as, as a parent. And, and I think that you described it really well. It's, it's tough because you, you might have expectations, but your expectation has to be ever changing and uh, you never know exactly where you're going to be, but you know that you love the child in front of you. So mm-hmm. it's, it's constant adaptability and you know, that stress is going to no, that'd be really tough. This, this would be a very unique parenting relationship, but it sounds like your other two children probably are unique as well. Yeah. Elliot and Emmett, um, they do really, really well. They, they are, I, I I never I don't understand the way that they they rate things. It used to be Aspie, which we don't use anymore, and then it's level one, level two, level three. And I'm not really familiar with the way all of that works because I don't really care. I just see my kids as my kids. Um, but you know they do really really well. They're very social. They don't um, they don't struggle a whole lot. They there's a lot of anxiety. My youngest has a lot of sensory uh, issues, but they presented very very differently than Gavin did. So when, when Emmett was, Emmett was, he's 14 now. He's my youngest. He was considered, he was diagnosed as being nonverbal or whatever that, how, I don't think they diagnosed it, but they, they told us he was nonverbal and that he would probably never talk. And he didn't speak until he was about four years old. Uh, they, he failed all his hearing screenings. So we thought that he had, um, uh, he was unable to hear. And we went for the final testing for that. And they're like, no, he hears just fine. He's just like ignoring you. And, uh, they said, we think he's autistic. And so that took us down that road. Elliot, my, uh, middle son is probably the least impacted, I guess. The, he's the one that you probably wouldn't notice the most, if that makes sense. And, uh, so I missed it and I, I didn't see it because I, my only reference was the, his brothers on either side as, as to what autism is. And he didn't, he was nothing like that. Uh, and it wasn't until he started preschool and I saw him, uh, interacting with, um, his peers that it became obvious that there was something going on and he was, he was evaluated and, uh, went through the process and he was diagnosed uh, with autism as well. Him and Emmett were both diagnosed about the same time. It, it really sounds as if, uh, I mean, 
you're basically explaining the spectrum. I mean, you have so many people out there that carry a similar diagnosis that have very different uh, interests, very different skills, very different ways of engaging the world and perspectives. And it makes being a parent probably that much more challenging because you're trying to be able to empower each child and do it differently. And it's really just understanding how to do that within the dynamic of I have three children Mm -hmm. who might have different ways I need to be able to interact at different times. Is, Is this something that, I mean, Am I am I wrong to assume that this is an no, extremely stressful process? You're not wrong to assume that. And uh, you know what? It, what I used to tell people, like I don't know, it's really hard for me to gauge my stress level anymore because it's it's the only thing I know. You know, so I, I don't have a frame of reference where my life. Well, I mean, before um, kids, maybe I have that reference, but I don't really have a reference as far as parenting goes that doesn't really involve all of these unique challenges. So this is sort of my normal. Um, but, you know, I, I think for me, it was like I had to learn three different languages because they all they all needed to be spoken to and communicated with in different ways. And, you know, I, I had a lot of, I struggled a lot with the sensory stuff because there is no one size fits all that will cover all three of my kids they they all had unique and sometimes conflicting needs, which is really frustrating because when you're trying to do something for one child that they need and what they need is upsetting to another child, then you end up with this, you know, situation where you like, you can't win, you know? And so you, you have to try and balance things out as best you can. And it, uh, it was exhausting for a very long time and it still sort of is still sort of is, I guess, but you know, my kids are much older now and you know they're 14 16 and 22 and you know they do really well my my two youngest are being mainstreamed in high school for the first time which is super awesome and uh you know we have our challenges but i I just like i i don't know any better or or know any different if that makes sense Mm -hmm. no it, it definitely makes sense and i mean just even for me raising my two daughters is that i often run into those conflicts all the time as what's right for one might not be right for the other and doing the dance all the time. Mm-hmm. But you always have to be there. You like you always it's a full time job. And in the world, as far as the, the clinical or treatment world of autism, is that you have you have professionals that come in there and and do some work and uh, expect that the parent can follow through with everything. And but it is exhausting. So how do you how do you show up and, and and be your best self for your children? Well, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not my best self right now. And um, I feel like my kids are paying a price for that. Uh, you reach a point, there's this, there's this, there's this thought process that parents have, and, and it's, it's all parents, I think. It doesn't matter whether they have autistic kids or, or whatever, that you know, your kids come first, no matter what, all the time. You put everything you have into your kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week until they're 18 and move out or whatever. And the problem with that, at least in my case, and in a lot of families like mine, is that uh, you wake up in the morning on your best day. On my best day, I'm not enough to meet the needs of my kids. And so you you run into this situation where you're constantly putting into your kids over and over and over again and you're depleting from the resources that you have 
to the point that you become sort of emotionally and physically bankrupt and you burn out, you know, and then you deal with depression and anxiety and uh, that whole spiral down of, of, you know, mental health issues in yourself, uh, which, which makes you unable to be the best version of yourself for your kids. And, you know, for me, I've learned the hard way quite a few times. Uh, I should have learned the first time, but you, you get lost, you get so lost in what you're doing and you live from one challenge to the next that you, you forget. Um, it's really easy to forget to take care of yourself. And, you know, that's something that I, I have really put a concerted effort into, especially since I became a single parent. Uh, I'm all my kids have. And, you know, I, I have to be, I have to take care of myself in order to be there for them as long as I possibly can. And it is, it's a delicate balance and you feel guilty for taking time to yourself and all that stuff. But, um, the alternative is unsustainable and set up for failure. You know, um, I don't know if that answered your question. I think it does, Rob. And, and I mean, what, I don't want to push too far on this, but oh, the yeah, whatever you fact want. is, is that you, you're taking a lot on your own shoulders here. Yes. And at times I take a, I take a look at this overall picture and I feel like, you know, as a community, as, as a clinical partnership, as uh, schools, as family and friends, especially as it comes to self-care and giving somebody maybe some slack at times and stepping in and being able to help support, asking the right questions so that you don't have to be the only one being transparent through a process is that we're welcoming that discussion to be able to figure out how we can be better for you. And as as that pertains, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, what are the things that when you go out in the community with your three kids, you're trying to do everything that you can. Mm -hmm. What is it that, that we need to be doing different to be able to make that easier for families? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, we're at a point now with, with my kids that, you know, they do really, really well. And for the most part, with the exception of my oldest, most people probably, if, if you weren't spending a great deal amount of time with my kids, you probably wouldn't notice anything. You know, the, the things that, that we struggled with oh, forever were just um, basic accommodations. You know, when you go somewhere and, and your kids are, I mean, there's that whole like kind of cliche example that everybody gives now with meltdowns and stuff at, at the grocery store, your kid's having a meltdown. Everybody thinks that they're just a spoiled brat or you're a terrible parent or whatever. Um, it, it's those kinds of things are very common. <laughs> like it happens a lot. It's happened a lot to me as a parent. It's happened to a lot of people that I know. I've seen it myself, you know, in other families. And I think if we just, I think if we can just be kind and, and understanding and, and not assume that we know what's going on, uh, in that moment, we can make things a lot easier for people because, because a lot of the issues, like I can deal with it myself. I just don't need anybody else jumping in or, or making snide comments or, uh, you know, shooting dirty looks or, you know, whatever. Those things are the kind of things that kind of really beat you down over time. I can deal with the meltdowns when they were happening. I can deal with the outbursts so I can deal with the behaviors. It's, it's the, um, it's the lack of empathy, I think, that is 
is more difficult to, to deal with. So be nice. I'm so glad that you said that. Uh, <laughs> I agree with that. I mean, that's the sentiment that I think that I, I guess if we lived our lives that way in general, we'd, we'd all be happier people. I agree. I, and um, I, I know I, I totally agree with your sentiment just because even for your, for your sons that, you know, I, it takes a discerning eye to recognize that, that there might be any sort of different difference in their social awareness or perspective or mm -hmm. anything like that, where it's just that they fit in, they blend in there, they have their unique characteristics, but maybe some of the autism characteristics show up from time to time. Mm -hmm. I saw that even this weekend when I was out um, and we we're out and we we're doing some zip flying, but I was watching as far as the other families that were involved where a child had made a, a, a comment, it was slightly off. It didn't fit the environment at that time. And people started treating that person differently just because of that one comment. That rush to judgment seemed to be a big issue. And yeah. I couldn't imagine trying to go through life day after day where I'm constantly concerned of what is this person going to say? Or what is the remark going to be? Or do I have to protect myself? Is that is that the shield that you sometimes have to wear? Not so much anymore. Um with my oldest, when he was a little bit younger, uh, he still really doesn't have much of a, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a filter, right? So, um, and he uses a lot of words that he doesn't really understand. So we even have issues in the home, you know, with, with his brothers where he'll say something. I know what he means because I've been interpreting for him since he was a kid. I know what he means. I know he doesn't mean anything by it. And he's just sort of misspoken uh, or chose, uh, chose the wrong words, but it's, it comes across in a way to, to the people who are hearing it or it's directed at that it can be very offensive or very upsetting. And, you know, with my kids, with most people, if you explain to the average person, Oh, I'm sorry, they don't, they didn't mean it like that. This is what they, they meant. This is kind of what's going on, whatever. Like, Oh, okay. I get it. No problem. Um, with my kids, uh, they, they can kind of be triggered by that. And so even though I explained to them that, uh, that's not what he meant guys. Like, come on. Like we've had this conversation like a million times. He's going to say that because he saw it in a movie. He's no idea what it means. He's not directing it at you in a negative way. Just is what it is. You know, we work on it trying to keep him to, you know, not say things if he doesn't have to, whenever. But, um, even they struggle with that. You know, they, they can't let that go. And, and, and it's a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle anywhere you go, really. If you have a, if you have a child who, who just blurts out, things that are not appropriate or behaves in a way that's not appropriate in public. Um, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of assumptions made in, you know, people are, people are, I've noticed this over the last 20 years, people are more apt to criticize critique or judge than they are to step in and offer help, comfort and uh, support. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a sad state that we live in if, if that's the way things are. And, and it's not that hard to do better. Just keep your mouth closed. If you have nothing else to say. Don't say it, you know, just, just walk past the people who are, who are having an issue with the child with a meltdown or something. You don't, you don't have to say something. You don't have to share your opinion. You don't have to say, you know, a kid needs to be disciplined or whatever. Just, just walk past them. It's so much easier just to not say something than it is to say something cruel and, and hurtful. And, um, majority of the time, I think people are misunderstanding or misreading uh, the situations or, or it's, it's more, 
it's more that the communication is is so vastly different that it there's just no they're not connecting i guess if that no it, it it absolutely does and i think that that comes into to play a lot nowadays with the idea of the balance between treatment and acceptance between celebrating neurodiversity and empowering different skill sets that might not be there. Right now, one of the big discussions out there is, is that idea of treatment and acceptance. And, and we talk mm -hmm. a lot about, and just now we talked about, you know, the society needs to start understanding these things might happen. They have a different intent. They have a different purpose. Yeah. So, but there is the treatment part of, you know, how do we empower somebody? How do I give them some of the social skills, some of the cueing so that they can benefit through it? Mm. And there's got to be a balance between that. And I'm, I was just interested in kind of That's a good question. Your, your children's path. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. picking up what you're putting down now. All right. So um, a couple of things. One, I am not of the mindset. Uh, if we lived in this utopian society where we could just say, I want the world to adapt to meet the needs of my kids and kids like them and adults like them, whatever, that'd be fantastic, right? It's never going to happen, though. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And and so I, I have worked with my kids to help prepare them for the world while I'm advocating for them to the world to make the world ready for them. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, it, it's not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things that make them stick out or, or whatever. And it's okay. Cause like we embrace the weird in my house and my kids are weird. I'm weird. Like we're, we're, we're just, it's okay to be weird. Weird isn't a bad thing. And I think as time goes on and more people are sharing their stories and more people are talking uh, openly about these things. And you have a lot of self-advocates who are um, sharing their firsthand experience. People become more aware. And, and I think the younger generations are more, um, they're more understanding and compassionate sort of by default. It's kind of like their default setting and they're more tolerant and accepting, um, than, than people who have, you know, been around a little while and, and kind of see, you know, you have ADHD, you're just making excuses for not remembering or you're lazy, you're not motivated, whatever. There's, there's a difference in the way that, that we view things, uh, at, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. And, and, you know, I, I don't know that we're ever going to change the viewpoint of some people, but I think um, raise our kids to be kind and compassionate and, you know, let them know that being different isn't a bad thing. You know, you can be who you are regardless of, of who that is and it's okay, you know, and, and as they grow up, they're empowered to stand up for people who might be bullied because they're different or you know, like my kids, uh, for the most part, they, they don't care what other people think, you know, they, they're themselves, they're unapologetically themselves and they express themselves with, uh, you know, clothes that they wear or the music that they listen to or, you know, whatever. And, uh, it's healthy and it's appropriate and, um, it makes them feel more confident, I guess. And, and, um, I, I don't think there's like a one size fits all approach that's going to work. I think it's just um, because every every autistic person is so different and every family is so different that if, if again, it goes back to if we just treat people with kindness by default, like if we're just nice to people, then a lot of these things will sort of resolve themselves. And 
you know, it's it's really hard because autism is such a dynamic condition and it's so different for so many people. It's hard to sort of prep the world for what what autism means. And um, and I can go off on that for a minute because I, I have um, this. I've been wanting to do a show on this because I think a lot of the a lot of the issue that we run into is there are so many versions of people. There's so many so many different symptoms and conditions and experiences that all fall under the same term as autism. And I think that leads to a lot of uh, confusion and misunderstanding and a lot of conflict and uh, unnecessary, you know, problems. No, I, but it's it's a tangent that I think probably should be explored more, and that whether sure. whether you have a show on that, uh, you actually, uh, I think that it's something I'd love to tackle as well because it, it's a really important question for us to be able to understand. And then with the diagnosis, is I mean, are you really treating the diagnosis, or what you're trying to do is empower the person to be able to improve in whatever ways they want to improve it. Happy, and healthy. It's it's looking at living your best process. life. Yeah, I want I want my kids, you know, I don't define, I think we have to redefine what we feel, we have to redefine what success is to us. I, I got into an argument, and I never engage with people, trolls, or people who upset me online or whatever. Well, that's not true. I do sometimes. Sometimes I get under my skin. Not as much anymore, but when, a couple of years ago, I got into it with this dad who was, uh, we were talking about success. And he he expressed that his autistic son will never be successful in his eyes because he's never going to have a management position. He's never going to have his own apartment. He's not going to have people working underneath him. He's not going to have a fast car. He's not going to uh, be married and, and give him grandkids. I mean, how, I don't know how he knows that at that age. But uh, but I was like, man, that's like that's really sad because you're you know you're setting him up for failure. He's never going to meet what your expectation of success is, and he's never going to he's never going to level up to you. And I think it's so important that that we have reasonable expectations for our kids. And, you know, our, our ultimate goal as parents should be that we want our kids to be happy and healthy. We want them to be able to be productive members of society in whatever capacity that is. And we want them to live a life that they're happy with, you know, safe, happy, healthy and loved. I mean, that's those are the those are the key things. You know, I don't care what kind of job they have. I don't care if they get married or they don't get married, if they choose to do that or not do that or whatever the deal is. I just want them to be happy. And to me, if I have raised my kids through all of this stuff that we've been through and we survived this pandemic and whatever the next one is, and uh, they're happy and healthy and as independent as it can be living their best life, that's success for me. You know, in my eyes, I, I think Absolutely. that because it, it's all relative. We, we can't lump everybody into a specific thing. It's, it's, um, it's relative. I just had this conversation with my friend Keith yeah. Swenson about success in our kids. It's a good. It's a good topic. No, it, I, I think it's one that probably all parents should step back and have that conversation, autistic or not. I mean, it's it's a matter of we should all be having that same perspective because if you're going to raise a healthy child, you have to be supportive of them and you have to think, cheer on their goals, their ambitions, what makes them happy, so that they can yeah. continue to fulfill it. One of the things that uh, I'd love to kind of understand is your path to becoming an advocate is that, sure. uh, to be honest, your transparency, it is a breath of fresh air. You're you're open, you're honest, you're willing to share. Not everybody's there. But no. how did you get into becoming an advocate? And, you know, how could we encourage more of this dialogue? 
<laughs> well, it was an accident, to be completely honest. I didn't set out to uh, fulfill this role. I I was really frustrated and overwhelmed with uh, my, when my oldest was first diagnosed. I was I was overwhelmed, right? And I, I wasn't coping very well, and I was just struggling with everything. And uh, because I'm a fixer, right? And I I was a fire medic for a long time, and like. I see a problem and I want to help him, but there's nothing that I can do to help him because what he had, you can't take that away. And I can't, you know, I, I can't um, fix the medical conditions. I can't, so you, so you feel powerless and hopeless. And <clears throat> excuse me, my wife at the time, uh, Gavin's mom was, was like, you should write in a journal. Cause I think that, you know, that's healthy to do that. And I was like, I, I'm all tech stuff. I can't sit there and write on paper. So she's like, you should start a blog. Nobody's ever going to read it. It's, you know, make it private, whatever. And so I set up this WordPress uh, blog called Lost and Tired because that's how I felt. And I started just kind of word vomiting everything that I was feeling and dealing with, uh, not thinking anybody was ever going to read it because it was not, I don't feel like it was fit for human consumption outside of, you know, me. And um, it turned out it wasn't private and I, it, it was, I don't know how people started to find it, but they started to find it. And then it started getting shared and there were things that were going viral and it became this, what I thought was expressing all this negative energy, you know, in a constructive way for myself and then walking away from it. I thought that's what I was doing. But what I was, what I was really doing uh, inadvertently was, was uh, showing people that they're not alone and that they are not the only person who is feeling those things and that it's okay to feel those things. Cause it doesn't matter what you feel. It's how you deal with it. That, that makes a difference. And, uh, you know, just because my kids, I mean, all three of my kids are autistic. They drive me nuts. They drive me crazy. And it's okay to say that, right? Because kids are supposed to drive uh, their parents crazy. I drove my parents crazy. And, uh, I'm sure my parents drove my grandparents crazy. It's just the way that it is. And, and talking openly about it and sharing the good, the bad, the ugly and the victories and the setbacks. And, uh, I'm, I'm fond of sharing my own mistakes, which have been many. And, uh, because I, you know, I, I feel like there wasn't anybody doing that when I started out. And, and so I had to learn everything the hard way. And if I can help people, um, if I can help people avoid some of the pitfalls or the mistakes uh, that I made by kind of lighting that path, um, it, it works, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it helps me because I feel like I'm contributing something outside of, I, I'm making something positive is coming from all of the struggle and, you know, it, it kind of fills that need for me to, to help people and connect with people. And my kids have loved it. You know, it's, it's, as they get older, it's a little bit harder to kind of share as openly, but, um, you know, they've all taken part in, and helping to educate uh, parents and helping kids feel like they're not alone and, and sharing what like sensory things are like for them and um, you know, how they deal with anxiety and tips and tricks and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff um, because they like feeling like they're helping people. And I think it's a good thing. And, and I don't think uh, there's anything to be ashamed of. I think, you know, these are all things that millions of people are dealing with and not enough people are talking about it. So it kind of feels like it's taboo or like you're sort of stepping outside of the norm, but, uh, really, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just talking about what I'm experiencing as a parent raising three kids who happen to be autistic. And, 
you know, autism plays a big role in, in some of the challenges and joys and setbacks and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we're just a, we're just a family and, and, you know, it's, it's evolved over the years to when my, uh, when their mom left and it became just sort of the story of myself and the boys, um, you know, I changed it to the autism dad because I was, I was trying to find something that was more positive. That was more focused on me and less on my kids because they were getting older and I was concerned more about privacy stuff for them. And for myself, I mean, I'm an open book. I'll tell you whatever you want. Um, and, and then it, you know, evolved from that into, uh, the podcast, which is doing really well. And, you know, it's all about just being transparent and, um, sharing things that I'm feeling and, and going through because there's somebody out there who's going to benefit from it. And, you know, I, I've been very lucky to be able to, to do this because I am a full-time or I was for a long time, full-time caregiver to three kids and each one of them were full-time jobs. And you know, I've been able to build a business around this where I can, you know, help more people. I can take care of my family. I can do what I'm passionate about and get to talk to people like you. Well, I, for one, thank you for doing this, uh, Rob. I think that uh, allowing somebody to have that peek over the fence and to be able to kind of see what's going on and to understand and almost encourage them to take off their own mask at times mm -hmm. and be themselves. I think that's super important. Um, where can people that are listening, you know, access the blog, access the podcast? Because it's sure. important for everybody to have this open dialogue. I've, I've tried to make it as easy as I possibly can. Uh, so if you just go to the autismdad.com, everything can link from there. The, the, the podcast can be found on any, any of the podcasting, uh, apps that you listen to. You just look up the autism dad podcast, but there's a dedicated site for that. And there's, uh, if you just visit the autismdad.com, there's links in the, in the, the menu bar at the top where it'll take you everywhere you want to go. And I, I don't want to, to leave this episode with, with me sharing any of my my experience on this because this is your chance to be able to talk to our audience and the fact that you've been so transparent and that you've lived in the way that you have just to be able to kind of say you know this is this is my unique this is my true self and you're mm -hmm. going to hear it and hopefully you learn from it i want i want to hear your parting words to our guests about you know and to the parents that are out there listening as if you had that chance right now to say just a few words to them what would it be I think what I needed to hear when I was starting out was that it was going to be okay. You know, um, you hear, you hear, uh, you know, your child has a diagnosis and, you know, when you're, when you're, when you have a child on the way, you, you start, you know, uh, planning the future out before they're even there. Right. And when your child is diagnosed as autistic, a lot of times those, those plans have to be remade, right? They have to be adapted or changed or whatever. And that's okay. You know, it, it doesn't mean it's not the end of the world. Um, autism is not a um, death sentence. It's, it's just a different way of existing. And uh, there could be a lot of challenges, but there's also a lot of, a lot of joy and things that you will be able to experience that you would never have been able to experience otherwise. I, I want people to, to take care of themselves you know, that's huge. Self-care is huge. And you got to start out right away. Uh, because once you burn out, you know, you can get behind the eight ball on a lot of things and it's hard to recover from. And, and like you said, you want to show up for your kids and you want to be the best version of yourself for your kids because that's what they deserve. And in order to do that, you have to put back 
uh, into yourself. And uh, my my therapist, therapy is another good one, guys. So therapy. Uh, my therapist told me that you have to be selfish before you can be selfless. And and I like that better than the whole put the oxygen mask on first analogy, because so many people feel like self care is selfish, and and it is. But there's different types of of that. And and taking care of yourself so that you can ultimately be a better person for your kids is the right kind of selfish and you got to do it. Your kids deserve the best version of you. You deserve to be the best version of you. And, uh, if you can just take a breath, know that everything is going to be okay. You're going to figure it out, take care of yourself, build up your support group and, uh, just take it a day at a time, hour at a time, minute by minute, if you have to sometimes. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. I'm, I'm known to like get on zoom calls with parents uh, when they're struggling just to be, just to listen, you know, and, and be a sounding board so that they know they're not the only person that's been through that. Um, but reach out to people. I mean, if I can help, you know, I'm, I'm very accessible, probably too accessible, <laughs> but I, I, I like to help <laughs> and I don't want people to go through anything like I had to go through, you know, when, when you lived in this vacuum of information. So, uh, no, I think I think everything that you said there is something that we should all internalize. And I appreciate the fact that you were able to put it in such a an articulate way that's that's showing the emotion behind that. And I I do appreciate your sharing of all your stories and your expertise of, you know, this is my experience. This is what I've learned. This is what I found important um, with us today on the podcast and and for being there. And hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.